Thanks for listening to Faith in the Fast Life. I'm Nick Orta. I'm your host. On this show, we look to break down the stereotypes of what the Christian looks like to the world by receiving testimony of action sports athletes and other athletes and just individuals across the world. You can find us on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and fastlifeministries.com to give. Hope you enjoy this episode. So yeah, so uh, welcome, and uh, we, mm-hmm. will, we will get started. So we are just so pumped today with Faith in the Fast Life. We have Ian Heinish here today, MMA fighter, uh, all-around great man of God with an incredible story, and been trying to get Ian here in person because uh, he is from Colorado, but he's living in Florida now, and it's just getting harder and harder to connect on a personal thing. So we are zooming in. We got Ian here ready to tell his story, Ian. What do you got for us today, man? Yeah, well, uh, um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm here in front of you guys, you know, by the grace of God. Um, you know, my story has led me all over the world, uh, many poor decisions, living my life with just selfishness, um, just bound by addiction and, um, just chasing after the world, man. And, and, uh, God, God seeked me, he found me. And it wasn't the first time, uh, that he, he continued to, to find me throughout my journey and continued to come after me. And, and, uh, I was very stubborn to, uh, to his will and to his, uh, and to what he wanted for my life. And eventually, man, it took me to my knees to full surrender. And, um, you know, it changed my life forever and changed my eternity. And, um, yeah, I guess I'll start from just my growing up, giving my background. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm a UFC middleweight, uh, fighting in the UFC. I've, I've broken, I've, I've broken to the top 10. Um, I've had, a, I've had, you know, a few losses and, um, <clears throat> you know, I feel God has spoke to me just recently saying that, you know, your life has been such a comeback. Why wouldn't I do this to your career too? So, um, I'm excited for that. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, I, I grew up in Parker, Colorado, uh, born and raised in, uh, born in Denver, grew up in Parker, um, grew up with a good family. Um, mom, mom and dad, you know, had a good job. My dad owned a roofing business and we had a nice house with 10 acres in, in Parker and, um, just always had energy was just a wild kid, you know, even though, um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't running the streets. I wasn't, you know, grow up in this, in a a bad environment, but I just had something inside me that couldn't be controlled. And, um, eventually my dad put me in wrestling, um, won a few state championships, won a few national championships. And, uh, you know, I did about every sport, gymnastics, soccer, football, uh, but wrestling really stuck with me. And, just came very naturally, even though the first year I wrestled, I didn't win a single tournament or place at it. But, uh, that summer I went to wrestling camp after wrestling camp and one state next year. Um, but around the age of 13 or 14, got introduced to, to, to Adderall, went to the doctor, you know, just couldn't sit still in class, literally just like had to get up, move around. Like I remember I had like a special pass where I could raise my hand. They let me lap the school a few times just cause I had so much energy and went into the doctors and got prescribed Adderall XR. And, uh, next thing you know, uh, you know, it's just feeling that addictive personality. My, my father's been in rehab. My uncles have been in rehab. My cousins are still dealing with addiction. So on my dad's side, we kind of been plagued with, with that addiction, which I look forward to breaking that curse. And, uh, you know, breaking those chains. And, um, so, uh, prescribed Adderall XR start just like trying to up the dosage on it. How, Next thing you know, dabbling this? in, uh, around 13 or 14. 13, 14. So you're like in middle school, right? Yeah. And they're giving you Adderall yeah. now. Yeah. This, really the, this was much. the gateway, right? We always talk about marijuana being the gateway drug. Adderall is the gateway. Adderall was the gateway for sure because Adderall you get like uh I mean it's amphetamine right so you're, you're you're basically tweaking out and obviously if you do it in super small dosages maybe it can be beneficial I don't know for me 
I did it in super high dosages where it almost gave me blurry vision, sweats, and kind of gave me like, you know, I was tweaking out on it, you know, and um, by the age of 17, I got prescribed Xanax because I had so much like anxiety from the Adderall. Um, so under the age of seven, 18, and I got prescribed amphetamine and barbiturates. And, uh, you know, I really, someday I really want to be an advocate and take a stand against uh, you know, the medical system. I think it's wrong. Right. I think they're, they're pill pushers, but that's a whole nother story. So anyways, I, I, uh, I'm wrestling, I'm doing my thing. Um, my parents, when I was growing up, they had to constantly pull me out of school, um, because I would be too hyper and pull me out before I get kicked out. And then we would try another school. But anyways, I made it to middle school, um, won a few state tournaments, made it to, uh, high school, Ponderosa high school, uh, took second my freshman year. And at 152, lost to a three-time state champ, beat him at regionals, but uh, let the the jitters of, of wrestling at the Pepsi Center, the big arena in Colorado, and um, and lost to him by a few points in the finals. Um, well, I pinned my way through state the next two years, and, and now I'm drinking heavily. I'm starting to drive down to Aurora, pick up cocaine, and I'm selling it to the kids in Parker and uh, I'm using that. I'm drinking, I'm doing Coke. I'm taking my Adderall. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm just a train wreck, really just, just living that party life and really starting to walk down the wrong path and letting my addiction pull me that way. And, uh, next thing you know, I'm 16 years old or, or 16 or 17, uh, driving home from a friend's party and drank like two bottles of Southern comfort. This was seeing double tried to use my little trick where I closed one eye and leaned to the left and, fell asleep at the wheel, just fell asleep, drove the, uh, my Mustang off the road, missed the sign in a, in a tree by inches. So that was one of the first times God, uh, you know, this stepped is your, in and, this is and, your senior year. No, this is uh junior. So junior year, basically DUI, two bottles of so Southern comfort. And I like the close one. I think I'd, I'd be lying if I hadn't tried that a couple of times myself, uh, with my yeah. history. And so, but yeah, but God already, I mean, here, here it is, but God, right? Yeah, exactly. So I wake up, the wheels are spinning and, um, I still have my foot on the gas. It was snowy and got out of my car. So I got my DUI. I'm living super crazy now. I, I'm talking crazy, uh, scaring my parents, um, to the point where they called, they, they had me shipped to rehab and it was called turnabout ranch and literally got transported by some big football player guys in the middle of the night, drugged me out, um, put me in a van, drove me to Utah, put me in a circle of rocks and said, take your shoes off. And, and, uh, had to stay in that for three days and like worked your way up to levels and, uh, an amazing program really, really taught me a lot. Um, had to, you know, take care of horses, fix fence, Bucket, do all these certain types of things. Um, and, but I really wasn't ready to fully surrender. Right. And only human help can only last for so long. So I came back home. I won state that year, uh, going to my senior year, uh, finally just, just did too much, man. I came in smelling like weed and, um, just, just was an habitual offender where they expelled me my senior year. I got expelled from school. So I just stayed at home, partied, um, just, trying to kind of figure out what I was doing with my life. Ended up getting my high school diploma online. Um, my, um, I went to senior nationals actually though, because my, my girlfriend at the time, her family was very wealthy and she believed in me. She paid for it. I went over to senior nationals, actually ended up taking fourth in the tournament and getting a full ride scholarship to uh, a junior college up in Northern Idaho, went to Northern Idaho. That only lasted for so long, went to jail the first day, uh, just got like a drinking underage, littering, um, running from the cops, and then um, like trying to resist. So um, just, just it was a mess. Really, it was an opportunity. I just completely blew, drank away all my my money because they gave me a full ride scholarship, paid for my books, paid for my apartment, and gave me like a per diem, like some money in the bank account. Uh, one of the many opportunities I just blew, came back home. Um, was trying to just figure out what I was going to do next. It was getting around 2008 when the depression hit and my parents had actually split up at this time and got a divorce. And 
we actually lost our house at that time. So uh, a kid growing up with, you know, having, having stuff and then all of a sudden everything was ripped apart and it was, it was a sad time. And I had some petty warrants for my arrest. The cops continued to look for me. I had a girl that I knew from high school that, um, we dated a little bit when we were younger and she said, I'll fly you out to Vancouver, Canada and just come to prom with me. And I was like, yeah, definitely. So flew out to Vancouver, um, ended up loving it out there and, uh, ended up getting a full-time job doing door-to-door sales, selling fixed rate contracts for natural gas, worked my way up in this sales company was to like top five out of like 200 people and was making two to four grand a week as a 19 year old making good money. And, Decide. I was like, man, I love it here. And I was just staying there, um, knocked on this girl's door. Um, 37 year old girls, they pull me in. They're like, Oh, he's cute. This girl's crying in the corner. They're like, she just broke up with her boyfriend, make her happy. Signed all of them up for my contracts. And then, um, ended up, uh, all their friends like, you need to take her home. She's too drunk to drive. End up going back with this girl. Her ex-husband shows up at the house, ended up beating him up throwing them down the stairs, uh, long story short, moved in with this girl 10 days later and, um, and lived with her for about four to six months. Uh, next thing you know, police show up at the door, immigration police. This guy did a bunch of digging, found out I was working illegally, uh, got thrown in jail for about six months there and deported back to the States. So I'm back to square one, broke. Family's broken up, uh, 2008, don't have a job, don't really have any skill set, not much of an education. Um, but I met some Guatemalans in Canada that had an ecstasy connection through their cartel or whatever. So I started getting pills shipped out, 2000 a week, going to raves, going to parties, uh, you know, making good money for a kid my age. And um, as time goes by, uh, we're sending all these Western unions back to Canada. Um, and finally they sent the guy down with a hundred thousand pills and he started giving me 10,000 a week. And, uh, about eight months into this got set up by, in a, by a girl that my buddy was dating in a Walmart parking lot, pistol to my head, right on the ground. Um, staring at that Walmart parking lot, 19 years old thinking, man, I'm about to do four to four to six years. Um, in prison. And I just thought to myself, no way am I going to go to prison. So my mom bailed me out the next day, uh, went to the post office, got a passport issued to me, which I still don't know how that worked out, but, um, got one issued to me. Um, and, uh, hopped on a, a Greyhound to Indiana, said goodbye to my family, hopped on a train to Chicago, uh, said goodbye to, to my family there and then went to New York and JFK to Amsterdam with about $2,000 in my pocket. And I didn't know anyone. And, um, you know, just kind of a kid who is lost man and really trying to find my way. And in my head, I was telling myself, I was just going to go backpack Europe and I'm not going to go to prison, prisons, crime school, and especially prison in America. And, um, so next thing you know, I'm on the streets in Amsterdam color or Amsterdam, um, Netherlands. And, uh, um, I'm basically just doing the same stuff that I was running from. A lot of people think you can run from your problems by changing your location, but that's not true at all. No, definitely not. I was drinking. I ended up in jail the first night there, um, just partying on the streets, probably fell asleep on the street. I'm not sure. Did, uh, just like, you know, yeah. like in middle school, they gave you the Adderall and then eventually Xanax and all that stuff. Like, did that go away? Like, did you stop using that or is this whole time through this span of Canada and everything else, are you still doing Adderall and Xanax or just get replaced uh, by hard drugs? Um, hard. I remember in Canada, I went to the doctor and I was like, here's my prescription. And they looked at me like, that's, you should not be taking that. Like I had like 40 milligrams of Adderall XR and like two Xanax bars a day. And they were like, no, they're like, we're not going to give you that. And then my doctor like faxed over some chicken scribble that, yeah, this is his prescription. And they were just, they just advised me like, this is so dumb for you to be taking this at this age. But I think when I went over to Europe, I don't think I had, um, I don't think I had any more of that. I think it was just uh, drinking. You think about how crazy that is for the listeners to to grab a hold of the, the Adderall's like you're doing meth. Right. Yeah. And then Xanax is basically bringing you back down. Is that fair to say? 
Like it, it's like a, it's two different highs that they're just. Yeah. Working yeah. It's with. uppers and downers. Yeah. yeah. That's just crazy to think of. So anyway, you, you head to Europe. That's kind of got left behind, but the very first night in Amsterdam, you're drinking too much, end up in jail. This is your second time yeah. to jail now, right? Or third? Um, I mean, I was in jail a few times in, uh, obviously for the DUI and just a few other times. So probably like fourth or fifth, but, um, the only time I really did time was in Canada so far. It was like literally just an overnight thing there. And they let me go. I was really thankful. I, I was glad they didn't like do some digging on me. Cause obviously I was on the run for a felony. I was a fugitive. Um, so basically blew through all my money within a month in Amsterdam, called my cousin. My cousin had a friend who was in Belgium. He said, yeah, yeah, just go over to Belgium. Um, and, uh, my buddy will put you up until you get a job. So I took a bus over to Belgium and, uh, went over there and, uh, my buddy took me in and just walking around with my big American pass or uh, resume and going around from business to business and finally got a job at an Irish pub working in the kitchen. Uh, that lasted for about seven, to eight months, but, um, met this crazy English guy who came in and, um, one night we, we were shutting down the whole restaurant and then like a bachelorette party came in of like 20 girls and we just turned the whole place into a party and just like literally passed out there. And the boss came in the next morning and was just furious and fired both of us and printed off. Cause I was on the front page of the Vancouver sun when I got in trouble in Canada um, you can Google it. it. It's pretty wild. But, um, so he was like, we're not going to pay you. Me and this guy walked him to the cash register, made sure he paid us. And the English guy was like, don't worry, mate, I'll get his jobs in England. So next thing you know, we're hopping on a ferry headed over to England. Um, he, this kid turned out to be super crazy. Uh, he actually made it on a show called below the deck below deck. And, uh, but I, and I actually revit, I actually saw him when I was fighting in UFC London. Um, but anyway, so it, it, England just didn't work out for me. I lived over there for about eight months. It rained all the time. It was cold. It just wasn't my scene. And that, and then I finally made my way over to the Canary Islands, Tenerife, uh, Spain. And that's when, uh, I remember it was just paradise to me. I walked down the beach and I just, it was beautiful. It was beautiful people. It was uh, warm weather and um, walked all the way to the clubs. And I was like, hey, you guys hiring? And they're like, yeah, you can start tonight. And so next thing you know, I'm working at a PR at these clubs. And basically they're paying me in drinks, eight drinks when you work, four drinks when you get off. And just a <laughs> euro a person that you bring into the club. So like three months of this, I'm full-blown alcoholic. can't even pay my 30 euros a month or 30 euros a week rent to just have a room in a house dude where's the like party I, one second to interrupt again i, I i'm blown away by our world right now right like you capture like this incredible story that the redemption is coming soon with you but at 14 they they put you on adderall after that they got you doing xanax and adderall and now somehow they find a job that they're giving you eight drinks for your shift and four when you get off how do you yeah. even perform your job at that point I mean, don't get me wrong. When I, I used mean, to bartend, like I drank at least that much and did twice as much cocaine, but they're not even giving you cocaine to keep you up and going at this point. Oh yeah. But we're doing it on the streets. Like, I mean, it, it was a party job. Like you, I mean, people are walking down the road. Hey guys, if you come to the bar, you know, everyone buys a shot. We'll throw in a picture of this and that. And, and you're just trying to pull people in. You're just trying to. So you are the life of the club. party basically. So you, you're the party that's yeah. bringing the party in. Yes, exactly. So you're you're the hype man, public relations, the PR they call it. I, I I don't see jobs like this over here. It was kind of a European thing. Okay. Um. So so next thing you know, I'm sleeping on park benches. I don't really have a place to go. I'm couch surfing. Uh, sometimes I'm sleeping on the beach. And uh, then I I met this American who was born in Miami and his dad's Colombian, and. Um, he sees me and, and it was just really good to hear a familiar accent, you know, American. I haven't seen an American in so long. And he was like, Hey gringo, like come live with us, man. Like well, you got potential. I don't want to see you like homeless, you know? So I moved in with them and uh, it was about two, three months hitting the gym every day, getting sober, really getting 
my life back on track. And I remember the dad sat me down, pulled out a bowl of grapes. And he was like, he's like, Hey gringo, like you want to go make some real money? Like we can go travel. And he's like, you think you could swallow these grapes? And I practiced and I could. And, um, I was like, yeah, let's go. So next thing you know, we're, we're going to, down to Colombia, Aruba, Venezuela, and we're going down there and we're wrapping up kilos of Coke, swallowing it and bringing it back. And, um, you know, about the fourth trip to Colombia, I remember some black dude came up to me in the airport and was like, dame su pasporte. And I was like, ah, uh, no comprende. And he's like, give me your passport. I was like, who are you? He's like, secret police. And then like looks through my passport and he was like, man, you like coming to Colombia, huh? And I was like, yeah, I have a girlfriend here. And we're in the Bogota airport. And um, he takes me in this room, this big x-ray machine. And I was like, oh, no. But luckily, the Colombians told me that we got this special paperwork putting on the, the, the balls of coke that is, uh, uh, it reflects the x-rays. But I didn't know if they were messing with me or just trying to say that to make me feel comfortable, more comfortable. But uh, I passed that x-ray, man. I went through, and they said, have a good day, Mr. Heinish. And uh, man, that was a rush for sure. And um, I thought I was invincible after that. Then we started almost getting sloppy, taking too many trips. We used to wait like three to six months and then go again. Now we're going like every other month and uh, it just became too many stamps in my passport. And finally they, they pulled me in the office at, in the Canary Islands. I usually go from Venezuela to Madrid to Spain to the Canary Islands, but I went um, Aruba, Caracas and straight to Tenerife. And <clears throat> for some reason I looked more suspicious and they took me to the hospital where there was a real x-ray and um, took a picture of my stomach and, the lady could just see it and she was like you have drugs in your intestines what is it she's yelling at me in spanish and i was like and i was like nah nah and she's like yeah no it is and i was like oh, i eat some chinese food and they were like yeah shut up boom threw the handcuffs on um sat in prison for a year without any court i remember me and the guy i got locked up with we were just looking at each other we're like man maybe the, maybe this stuff was fake and they're just gonna let us out uh, you know, you just kind of had to hold on to some kind of hope. And, um, so started, at this point, was that the Canary Islands that you got locked up in? Yeah. Like that's where they caught you? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, thank God it wasn't Colombia or Venezuela. Um, so I'm in there, man, and, and they have a wrestling program. I walk right up to the coach, and I show him my ears. He's like, oh, yeah, you're good, because usually it takes three months to get in. And then... They had like a boxing program and I just dove in, man. And I was just like, man. And I just realized to myself, like, I don't belong with these people. I'm not one of these people. Like I'm not, this is not my destiny. And, and, uh, and God started working on me in prison for sure. And, uh, finally I got con air to the North of Spain and, uh, in a place called Leon. And, um, right when I walked, right when I walked in the jail, you know, my boy was telling me like, anyone mess with you, just blast them. And so I got to, I, I punched the dude right away when I got in there and I got, uh, two or I think it was like, I think it was like, uh, 25 days in isolation. And this was one time that God really searched me here. And I started to like 15 days in, I remember I hadn't talked to no one. It was just like sliding food under the door. Haven't left my cell. I was doing push-ups. I was doing yoga. I was like rolling the top bed up and like using it as a punching bag. I was sleeping for two hours up for four, no matter what time of day it was. And finally I was just losing my mind and I just got to the end and I was just like, Lord, if you were real, like show me who you are. Like, and all I had was a, a Bible and it was in Spanish and I didn't read Spanish at the time, especially Bible scripture text. Um, and I just opened the book, man. And I just started reading, um, genesis and it was just like the lord just like revealed to me that like he gave he brought me so much peace i feel i felt the holy spirit come upon me i just broke down in tears man and i felt so comforted for one time and i just felt like the lord just like just just show himself to me and and give me that peace that i needed to get through that and uh and of course you would think after a um, an encounter like that, you would chase after the Lord. But of course I started to go to church then. And, um, I started to seek him and 
two and two two years and four months in prison. I signed a piece of paper that I won't come back to Spain or Europe for five years. I got extradited. They cut my sentence by three fourths. Um, so I only had to do two years and four months instead of three and a half. And I got extradited back to the States. So I went from Spain to uh, New York, uh, free for the first time in the air, airport. Just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And the airplane, they, they gave the passport to, my, to the flight attendant. And I was just acting all weird on the plane, like talking to people, like hitting on girls. Like I just, I had been free, you know, it was, it was a wild feeling. Landed in New York and I kind of knew what was up because I was a fugitive on the run scan my passport mr highness come with us sat in the jamaica queen's jail house for three days just terrible just people puking just crackheads it was a weekend it was so busy in there and i just sat there with my jacket just curled up man it was like and they just i, I they just were bringing people in throwing people out and, and i had to stay because i was a special case they told me and then my lawyer comes up and they say you're going to rikers island um, they're like, you got to go to protective custody. But I had this mentality. I was like, throw me at the wolves. I'll lead the pack. Like, um, I was like, I'm not worried. Like, but I, I never heard of Rikers Island, but, um, they were driving me on that long bridge that heads to Rikers. And I was like, Whoa, this is really an Island. I was like, this is wild. And we were going through like fence after fence, after fence. And man, that ended up being like the hardest month and a half of my life. Uh, every day was a struggle for survival and, um, I remember the guard was walking me down because I was in maximum security because I was a fugitive. And he was like, man, you must be one bad white boy. And I was like, why is that? He's like, because I had never seen one of you in this wing. And I was just like, oh, I was like, I was like, you're right, I am. <laughs> and so I went there, man. And it was rough, man. They started like take everyone's messing with me all the time. Luckily, I spoke Spanish fluent. So the Latin Kings kind of took me in and, and the Latino culture really kind of, it brought me in. They let me sit at their table, which was a blessing. And, um, it was just, it was just wild, man. And they were like, they were like calling me out to go to court every day. They would like take me to court and go into courts degrading, man. You got to pull your pants down, bend over and cough in front of a cop. You're shackled up on a bus. You're taken to the courthouse. You're thrown in a holding cell for eight hours, fed these gross peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And, I would see no lawyer, no judge. I'd sit there all day and they'd take me back. They did this three days in a row. Finally, I just lost my cool. And one of the guys was messing with me. And I was like, no one's using my phone, man. And I just like got in his face. And he was like, oh, yeah, is that so? Meet me in the back. So I went and I saw this guy in the back, mate, pulls this knife on me. And uh, I, I, you know, I learned some um, tricks in prison. So I was like, no, man, please don't hurt me. I just saw his chin. Boom, blasted him face down and uh his brothers come running up and so i just ripped my shirt off and wrapped my my hand because i'm just ready to grab knives because i know they have shanks and thank god three little latinos stood in front of me man and they were like how are you with us and they and they stood up for me and, and everyone got locked down and uh and the and the leader of the or the of the gang comes to me and he's like man you got to go to protect because these guys are going to kill you and we can't save you and uh so i called the guard over and i was like guard i gotta go i gotta leave here and i'll never forget man he goes f you white boy and slammed the door in my face like he was in cahoots with them they were gonna jump me the next morning so um, who, who was this group of guys like you're in with the with the latin kings but who's uh who's this crew that's trying to to take you out uh i'd rather not say like what gang there but um yeah, they were obviously just a rival, were, rival gang to, to Latin Kings or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And um, so then, I mean, the night's, the night's going on and I'm just up all night praying, making armor, just like flipping my room upside down, trying to make it like pushing the bed up here, like making it so like it's a, because the guards would come in and like throwing up gang signs to the, to the inmates. So like, they were like together, like, I hope that prison gets shut down, man. I don't know if you've seen the Khalif Broder documentary. It's Jay-Z did it. It's sad, man. Like it's, it's terrible. And there are people dying there every week and, uh, they're shutting it down, I think. But, um, so I was just ready, man. I was like thinking, I was like, man, I'm, I might die tomorrow. Like, 
and I was just praying to the Lord to save me and get me out. Like I was, I was in fear for my life. And uh, an hour before those doors opened, man, uh, two big football player dudes came around and were like, Irish. And I was like, jumped up, like ready. And, uh, they were like, let's go grab your stuff. You ready? And I was like, yeah, where are we going? And they're like, us marshal. And they were there to extradite me back to Colorado. And, um, walked past all those guys man and i was just like and they were like you you have any passport or i mean they were like you have any belongings or anything at the front i was like no let's go i was like get me out of here and i had all my stuff there and someone came and picked it up later but uh then i was nine days on a on a on a on a bus just doing this around the country just because apparently they make more money every time they cross a border shackled like this freezing then it was it was rough to to say the least but um, finally, 2014 Valentine's Day, I made it back to Jefferson County, got bailed out by my mom and sister, and it was freedom for the first time in two and a half years. And uh, I knew right away, I was like, man, I can't drink. I can't, I can't go back to using drugs. Um, and I was like, I got to find an MMA gym. I found a gym, started training. Um, I was like, man, this is my purpose. I was like, I was like, God's going to use me for this. And like, I, I felt it on my heart. I felt it on my heart before I even started, but I never could quite um, get rid of my addiction. And, and I had a, some big epiphanies in prison. When you're in prison, you have a lot of time to think and you think about your life and, and you really uh, just kind of, I mean, it, it gives you a lot of time to connect with God. Like sometimes, sometimes I want to like put myself in that mindset just because you, uh, you really just slow down and really um, connect. And so I start training up for this gym. I, I go four MMA, four amateur fights, all finishes in the first round, uh, go pro, turn pro, get up to my seventh fight, um, tear my LCL, go to the doctor, um, get prescribed a Percocet. Mm. Next thing you know, fully hooked, man. And uh, I, I started taking Adderall again, and I wasn't drinking, but I was I was taking pills, and I was taking pills that I could go train on. So I take Adderall, painkillers. I'm going in the gym, getting probably concussions that I don't even know about, just because I'm like numb completely. And and then uh, so I'm fighting this like I'm going to Mexico after I win big fights, and I'm buying more oxy over the counter. Uh, next thing you know, just full blown addiction on it. And I had this like thing, like three weeks out from a fight, I would quit using, I would get sick for a week because I was, um, because I was, uh, like obviously coming off of it, like having withdrawals and then I would feel good for the week and then I would go fight. And then obviously to celebrate, I would do the painkillers again. And it was this vicious cycle, man. And it was really, it was really tearing me down. Obviously I should have plugged into a church. I should have plugged in the right thing. I went to one church and for some reason it made, turned me off and I felt like churches were just after your money and I got lied to by the enemy. And so I'm full blown addicted to painkillers. I go into this eighth fight. This is the, the pinnacle of all fights. I, if I win this fight, I win the LFA belt, which is a world title. And that will get me in the UFC. Win this fight, you go to the UFC, lose that fight. You might never make it. I go in there. I'm not mentally good. I go in there. I rush a bunch of things. I get caught in a submission. Boom. Tapped within like three minutes of the fight. It was just completely embarrassment. First fight I ever lost in my career. Took it so hard, man. I was so angry. And it was kind of funny too, because the devil was just tempting me because I got an abscess in my teeth and I like, I, and like I couldn't find any painkillers anymore. I remember, but I got this huge abscess and I went to the doctor and the doctor had like clean it up. And he's like, here's a prescription, like 40, 10 milligram Percocets. And I didn't even ask for it. And I was just like, oh my gosh. So I got it filled and I was like taking fight or I was taking a few pills on that fight week. I was like, well, I'm in pain. You know how the devil works in your head where it's like, yeah. well, I'm actually in pain. Well, the doctor said I needed this. Just, like you would just try to it. justify it. Yeah. You're justifying it every way you can. And so I take this fight, I lose. And I, I remember just looking at my buddy, I was like, man, I'm done, man. I'm so sick of this. Took those pills, gave it to my buddy, flushed them down the toilet. And I was just like, man, I'm like, we went on this camping trip and I was going to Bible study with uh, a big mentor and buddy of mine, Nate Marquardt, uh, who just made his return to MMA. Um, he's also a pastor. He's got his uh, doctrine in, in theology. And 
Um, we do Bible study at the gym out here every week. Uh, him and Micah, we're, we're going to Bible study. We're going to Red Rocks Church. And um, we go on this camping trip, me and my buddy, Nate Cubs. We go on this like camping trip at our secret spot, family spot we've been going to forever, way outside of Leadville. And I was like, I just got to go. I chopped wood to my hands, bled. I went on this. I took my, you know, praise God, my my buddy's like, so he rolled with me through this. I like tortured him. I went on this like hiking trip where it was like 60 mile an hour winds. And like I hiked so fast that I didn't stop or talk. The only time I stopped was to fully change my entire clothes because it was like I jumped in a pool. I was so wet. And I changed, and then we like hit the top of the summit, and like the winds were so hard in our face. And it was another like hour walk to this cabin, and I remember I just got like this crazy endorphin rush where I'm like running around the cabin, and my buddy like gets there. It's like an old minor cabin. It's like not even windows or anything. My buddy gets there and like collapses and like hypothermia, and I'm running around like a madman. Like, don't worry, bro. I'll get you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Like, you're gonna be good. And we get back to the campsite and we're just wrecked. And my, we pull out a Bible study that my buddy gave me. And it was like, it was basically questioning if we were really saved, like our salvation, because we have one foot in. We And we realized it offended us at first. We were like, these people, they don't think we're actually saved. And we got like all offended. And then we realized, man, we're, we're hypocrites, man. We're living one foot in, one foot out. We go to church on the weekends and I do drugs on the weekdays. We, we, we go to church and sing our, we praise the Lord and say our prayers. And then we go hook up with chicks, you know, like we were, we were hypocrites and it was revealed to us and we fully surrendered on that day. We full surrender. I remember we slept for like 14 hours straight. It just rained and that hike was insane. And it was like, I mean, it, it was death to life, literally on that. And I, I got my testimony screwed up because I thought I got saved when I got baptized a week later. But the real, it was full submission on that trip, which, which really changed my life and my eternity forever. And I went to church the next week. We came home. I went to church the next week, Saturday. It was a, we went to a Saturday service. It was baptism. I didn't know. And I felt God just pulling on my heart, like, yes, like time to go public with your faith. Let's go. And I remember that night I was like, okay, I'll, I'll get baptized on Sunday. So my family can come. So I went home that night. I binged out on Adderall and painkillers. Cause I was like, this is the last time I'm ever going to do it. And I felt so terrible. I was just like itching myself in bed. And I was like, Oh, and I was like, I just want to pass out. I go in my friend's medicine cabinet because I knew they had Valium just looking for something to just knock me out, searching it, couldn't find anything, just looking at myself like, man, you're look at you. You're like a junkie going through your roommate's uh, medicine cabinet. Anyways, passed out the next day, went to church the next morning, walked in, was going to make this big spectacle out of it. Like, yeah, cheering after I got baptized, completely rocked me, didn't do any of that. I swear when I looked at the water, it was clear. I remember walking out, I turned around and looked back, it looked black. And it was like, God was like, that's your addiction. That's everything done. And um, I was just rocked, but I felt so at peace, so pure. I had no withdrawals from any of the drugs I did. And I told myself at the time, I was like, I'm just going to smoke weed because, you know, weed's not bad. Like God, you know, um, you know, he made he made it as a plant, this and that. So I remember I smoked some weed that night and I got this head high where I was like a come down slash concussion. It was so weird. And it lasted a month. And it was like, I didn't even spar. My coach is like, what's wrong with you? Like, and I was like, I don't know. I'm not doing anything though. And it was like, I was praying to God. I was like, God, I did what you did. Why are you doing this to me? And it was just like the worst feeling in my head. And a month later, it was like one of the times I've only heard God's audible voice. He was like, this is the feeling you never want. And he just lifted the fog from my eyes. And it was like clear headed. And I, I had I had one little relapse once, but I, I took some uh, muscle relaxers and it didn't even work. And I just felt like a knife stabbed me in my heart in Mexico. But other than that, I have not touched a single drug since that time. And uh at that time, I was living in my buddy's basement. I was broke. I was not in the UFC, and I never paid taxes, and I was single. 
And a year after that, I was married. I bought a house. I was top 10 in the UFC. Uh, I never had touched a drug again. And, uh, and I'm not saying God's just going to automatically, like life just is perfect now because it's not at all. But God really like blessed me and he uses me every day. Um, and it was that point of full submission from death to life when I really realized I wasn't saved, even though I was like going to church and, and singing the songs and saying the prayers, reading my Bible. But it was like, I still was holding on to sin in my life and I had to let go of everything and let God in on every part. And, um, he fully changed everything in my life. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a constant battle, but man, I've, everything I've tried rehab, prison, everything, nothing could cure me from my addiction. And to this day, I feel fully free chains broken and, uh, fully healed of my addiction. And so as we look at this, I, I, I kind of try to pull the timeline together. So when you were in Rikers, <clears throat> No, let's go back before that. When you were in the Canary Islands, that's when you started reading a Bible, right? And it was in Spanish? Yes. And so didn't really give your heart to God there, but you started to kind of flirt with it, if you will. like to, Yeah, I started to go to church and, and read the Bible. But it's still your will. And you're, you're starting to get a little bit poured into it. I, I, like, I like to capture this kind of stuff just so that listeners can kind of kind of see that it doesn't always... You just walk into church and it's over, right? Like it, some some people it happens, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of influences out there. There's a lot of worldly things happening, a lot of things that are distracting us, right? The enemy's coming to yes. to steal, kill, destroy, distract all those fun things, um, and he's trying to pull you away. So you started to get a basis, and then you get to Rikers, and that's I don't know too much about Rikers, but it sounds like I want to know more because it, I mean, it just sounds terrible. So while you're in there, did you you obviously prayed that night, and then the U.S. Marshals came and yeah. brought you out? But did you really know God at that point, or is that still? Um, I mean, and and I, I guess I should have gave a little more background. When I was younger, I was uh, I was saved when I was younger. I just I was full blown Christian, um, going to church. I got baptized when I was like eleven. I went to Russia on a missionary trip slash wrestling trip. And, um, and obviously when I started drinking and drugging, um, I completely lost touch of everything. So I knew who God was, um, but I wasn't willing to give him my life. I wasn't willing to let him in. I was, I wanted him to be there to help me through stuff, but I wasn't ready to, to fully surrender. I wasn't ready. I, I was blinded. You know, I was, I was totally blinded by my selfishness and my addiction. And, um, yeah, I mean, when I was in Rikers, I was, I was praying, I was reading the Bible. Um, it was more of like a religious act, like, Hey, I need to do this to feel good. I wasn't in full relationship. I wasn't, um, obviously that night before I almost felt like I was going to die the next day. I, I was up praying all night, like just diving in, but it was twisted, man. Cause I would like, when I was in prison, I was, I got my Xanax prescribed to me there still. So I was taking Xanax and like, um, you know, I'm taking drugs and, and praying to God and, and, uh, you know, and even when I was, uh, free on the streets, like I was going to Bible study, going to church all weekend and then, uh, doing painkillers and Adderall. Like it was like, almost like, and I'm sure anyone can relate who has addiction. It would be like, you almost feel like possessed. Like, it's like, oh, like, okay. And then you like call the guy. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah I need Oxycontin. Meet me at the gas station. And then like put your phone down. You're like, man, I don't want to do that. No, why did I do that? It's like so impulsive. And then you're like, well, I already did it. So I got to go. And then when you're like, he started convicting me more and more. Like the convictions became stronger and I just had to keep seeking him, keep seeking him. He kept pulling on me. Like there was no, like he, he knew what he was doing. Like, um, as much as I tried to get away from God, he kept finding me in all situations. And, uh, finally I just got to the point in my life where I was so broken and just so ready to surrender it all. Yeah. 
No, I get that with through my addiction too. I, I uh, you know, we talk about the fact that you know the ritual of getting the cocaine was as much yeah. the addiction as doing it. Because the second I did it, I'm like, ugh, like this doesn't. Yes. It didn't even feel good. Like it felt terrible. No. But my brain told me I had to do it. I had to go through the whole process. My my now wife, what we just shared this, we were in Florida for a trade show for a week. And she was all pumped because, like, I didn't use any cocaine the whole time we were there. So she's like, this is it. Like, you're done. Like, we're, we've got this. And we get back, and I no more drop her off at her house and drive to the east side to buy an eight ball of cocaine and right back down that same path. So I... I get it, man. It's crazy that that temptation and then the ritual of just doing it over and over again. So, man, it's so good to yeah. see you on this side of things. If um, you know, obviously you're still fighting the UFC. When when's your next fight? Do you have anything scheduled at this point? Uh, no, no. At the moment, just uh, just training, getting back into things. Um, having a little issues with my thyroid right now. Obviously didn't perform well in my last fight didn't feel good so just just working on some health stuff right now and uh but i'll be back man i'm, I'm i'll be back with vengeance and uh the, the lord is is put me on the path of um of this right now and i i feel this this is still my journey and uh i i have another fight on my contract and um you know, I just got to figure some stuff out. I feel like God's put me in a spot now to just say, hey, slow down a little bit. And uh, and like my last fight was wild. I had like, man, I just get so many attacks, man. I have like weird skin stuff I get on myself. Uh, I jacked myself up. I taken so much antibiotics before. And this is why, honestly, man, like the doctors freak me out. I have a functional medicine doctor now. But just look at my life, man. Adderall, Xanax, um, the antibiotics, which have like like everything the doctors have ever given me has just tore me to pieces. And some of it might be my fault because I was trying to get it, but I don't know. It, that's why I'm I, that's why I'm freaked out by like medical people, especially what's going on right now. Like I just I just don't trust it. Yeah, oh, I feel you. We my family we grew up on a homeopathic. My grandfather was a chiropractor. My grandma yes. got really into uh, balancing the body and homeopathic mm -hmm. roots and stuff like that. So we do yeah. a lot of that with us. But um, so, man, as we kind of near the end of the time here, I always ask every listener, uh, you know, what's one thing that you want to say to the listeners? What's one thing that you want them to grasp to take with them, whether believer, non-believer, you know, UFC yeah. fan or whatever they might be that's here in this show. Somebody, somebody heard this story. What's the one thing you want to leave with them? Yeah, I would just say, uh, man, if you're out there and you're listening to this and you, you don't really know what, what your, what your future looks like, what, what you're on this earth for, what you're on this earth for, uh, just seek God, man. Like it, it was so hard living my life, trying to control everything and make the plans now I literally look up to, to God, to Jesus. And I ask him, um, Hey man, what, what's next? And it takes so much stress off you because when you're walking on the path, the Lord has set you on, there's no better feeling and you feel power in that. And the Holy spirit is with you through that and you're not alone. So I would just say, whether you're struggling with addiction, whether you're struggling with relationships, uh, a marriage, um, a job, anything like that, Look to the Lord. Keep seeking Him no matter what. Some days it'll be bone dry when you're reading your Bible or you're praying, and other days it can be pure ecstasy. But just keep seeking the Lord every day. He will guide you. He will put you on your, your path. He will heal you. He will um, give you power when you need it. He'll give you strength when you are weak. And, um, man, He will fill every desire of your heart. A big lie that I always believed when I was growing up is if you follow the Lord, you're going to miss out on stuff. And some people, even after I share my testimony, pull up to me and they're like, Hey man, but your old life, man, that was, and it's like, no, my new life, I get to travel more. Um, I enjoy things more. I remember everything I do. Um, God will fill every desire of your heart. And 
10 times more than you could ever. And, and your fulfillment will not be empty. It will be the most filled feeling you've ever had in your life. So seek the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit to guide you, invite Jesus in your heart, give him your life, and he will lead you to the most amazing, fulfilling, and uh, full life you could ever imagine. And he will fill all your desires, all your needs, and uh, just keep seeking him every day, no matter what, the hard days, the easy days, the good days. And um, and there's hope for the future and there's hope for your eternity. And um, if you're blinded by or bound by addiction right now, I promise you that if God could heal me, he could heal you. So uh, seek his face and reach out to me, reach out um uh, to any of us and we'll be willing to help you and guide you and put you on the right path. And, but ultimately it has to be your decision to invite Jesus and by faith alone, you will be saved and, and by grace. So um, thank you for having me on, man. I appreciate it. I hope this story impacts people because I feel I went through everything I did to be a weapon as a testimony and um, testimonies are so powerful. So um, if you're going through stuff right now, God's going to make your life a testimony. So remember that. And um Thank you, bro. Fast Life Ministry. Um, I'm super glad we got to do this. It's been forever. And yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so That's with it. that, you know, you talk about people getting a hold of you. Like, how, what, where should people look? You have a website, Instagrams, um, Facebooks. What, where should they find you? Yeah. Um, so, Ian Heinish MMA. That's my Instagram, my Twitter. Um, DM me on there. Um, I, I try to get back to everyone. So, it might take me a little bit, but I look through it all eventually. And my Facebook is Ian Heinish. Uh, my my fan page is Ian the Hurricane Heinish. So um, check me out on there. Also, my emails on my Instagram, so you can email me, and uh, I'll try to get back to everyone I can. And uh, I know you guys uh, are are an open book as well. So yep. reach out to you guys. And uh, yeah, thanks, Nick. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So for us, it's you know fastlifeministries dot com. Uh, Fast Life Ministries on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and man, Ian, it's been so often. I'd like to close in prayer for Ian as we just, uh, encourage him. So father God, we just come before you and we're just so thankful to be able to hear this story that you've given Ian. And we just pray that it reaches all of these listeners who heard it today and God, that you'll just encourage Ian to keep going. Lord, you're not done with his story yet. You have so much more in this young man. And we just pray father God that you're with him and that you'll guide him and you'll motivate him to step aside from this worldly stuff and these, prescription drugs and the antibiotics or anything that might harm him and get in the way, but to truly rest in you, Lord God, and that he will focus on, on his relationship with you. And when that is in the main focus, you will propel him in his career and he will overcome all odds to be standing as the champion in his field, Lord God, whatever that field might be at the time was your will be done. Lord God, we just pray for our listeners and for this world right now, because this world needs you more than anything. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And, and Lord, I just pray for Fast Life Ministry. Bring a blessing upon it, Lord. Everyone who listens, let it reach people that need to hear this testimony, that need to hear other people's testimony. Uh, let it pierce their hearts, Lord. Let it let it turn their hearts to flesh. And um, let it change lives, Lord. Let it heal addictions and, and break break uh uh, demonic strongholds lord and uh lord just thank you for what you've done in my life and what you keep doing and uh lord just let me keep sharing this testimony let nick's platform uh, just grow fast like ministry just continue to grow bless it and we thank you in jesus name amen amen right on guys we appreciate you listening to faith in the fast life have a blessed day <laughs>